everybody. Welcome back to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie, and I am here with special guests today. Yay. I've got Aiden, my oldest kid. Say hi. Hi. And I've got Kieran, my youngest kid. Hi. They're they're also they're the only two kids, so I guess. Yeah. Anyway, um, I mean they're not the only two kids in the world. Just. So, um, I've kind of got a live studio audience today, so we'll see how this goes. Um, before I get started with the story, I just wanted to say welcome to all my new listeners. I, um, this past weekend, I had like a whole bunch of new listeners, and that's really exciting. Um, you know, you can give me a shout out, like talk to me on Twitter or on my Bible Stories for Heathen Children Facebook page. My Twitter is at BSF Heathen Kids. Um, shouldn't be that hard to find me. Uh, it would be great to hear from people. I've, I don't have a clue who all is listening. I, I certainly know I don't know this many people. Um, so there's got to be people I've never met yet who are listening yeah. to this, and I would love to know more about you. Gotta be. So, so yeah, so reach out, say hi, tell me, you know, how old your kids are or how old you are or anything that, like that. I'm, I'm very curious. Uh, anyway, so I told you guys I was going to be talking about Jesus today. Um, and there's actually, there's four Gospels, you know that, right? You've listened to the, the What is the Bible episode? Yeah. The four Gospels were written by four different people who all kind of had a different approach to telling similar but not exactly the same stories. Mm. So um, the Gospel of John begins with uh, John the Baptist, who, as an adult, in this, in this book, he's, he's an adult, and he introduces Jesus as the Messiah, as the Son of God who will make God known, and the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. So then people just immediately start following Jesus because John the Baptist said so, uh, even though he hasn't really done anything noteworthy yet. So chapter 2 of the Gospel of John starts with Jesus' first miracle. Someone told me to speak slowly, so i got to try to do that. Lots to remember. So it starts with his first miracle, and you it, it might not be what you expect, unless I've already told you, so uh, don't blab it out yet. <laughs> Once upon a time, Jesus was at a wedding with the men who had started following him, who were called his disciples. Weddings were these really big social gatherings with a lot of food and drink, only there was a huge problem. The wedding hosts ran out of wine. Oh yes, I remember you tell us you told us this. I will let you pause, taking the enormity of this tragedy. Is it not an enormous tragedy? <laughs> it's a minor well, tragedy. Well, Jesus' mom thought it was a big deal. So she was at the wedding and she found Jesus and she's like, they have run out of wine. And he's like, woman, like don't dramatic. get me. Yeah, all dramatic. That's how I've always read it. Maybe she was just like, you know, they ran out of wine. Wink, wink. Think you could do anything about that? Wink, wink. But I always read it as, oh no, wine. What will you do, Jesus? And he says, don't get me involved. <laughs> he's, okay, that's that's enough reaction about the wine. <laughs> and, she's, and he says, don't get me involved. It's not my time yet. And she does not really pay attention to this. She just tells the servants, do whatever he tells you. And so he's like, okay, well, my mom told me to fix this problem. So I guess I'm fixing this problem, which sounds like what you would do <laughs> if you could magically do stuff. Yeah. So there were these large jars. Each could hold like 30 gallons, Whoa. which is a lot of liquid. Uh, and they were used for ceremonial washing. And so they, they were for holding water to get 
to use to wash as part of like a religious ritual more than like for a bath to actually get actual dirt off so he jesus tells the servants their servants that are getting everything for the party they're taking care of people he's like fill these jars up with water so they fill all six jars up as full as they could go so that's like what 180 gallons mm. and then he doesn't he just says take some water out of the jar and give a drink to the wedding planner so this man is kind of like the head servant he's not the one getting married he's like the one in charge of making sure the party goes smoothly mm. So they they bring him a drink. They just they just dip out a cup, you know, and they ladle out a cup of water and they give it to him and he drinks it and he's like, This is the best wine I've ever had. And it always surprises me when I read that story and I remember Jesus didn't Jesus didn't like he didn't like say anything. He just said, Fill up the water and give him some of the water, and then they give him the water, and suddenly it's wine. But why is it wine? Did it, I wonder if it looked like wine to them, and they were yeah, like, Yeah, like, like, when did it look like wine? Did it did it become wine in the jar? Did it become wine when they were carrying it? It doesn't tell you. The story doesn't say. It just at some point, it's suddenly wine. So um, they didn't say where the drink was from. And, um, and he was like, he would have known that the wine was gone. So he's like, where did they get this new wine from? So he's amazed. He's like, this is the best wine I've ever had. And he's like really relieved because what's he going to do? It's a party. And he thought he was out of wine. Um, so he calls the bridegroom. And he's the man who was getting married that day. And he's like, hey, congratulations on owning really good wine. Most people, you know, most people bring out the cheap wine after the everyone's starting to get a little bit drunk. Then they just bring out the cheap wine because no one can taste it anymore. But you save the best for last. And they served it, and the party continued. And only the servants and the disciples knew that the wine had been water, like, only a moment ago. And that's the first sign, or miracle, like it's called a miracle, that they had ever seen that Jesus had power from God, and they believed in him because of it. So uh, they believed everything that John had said about him being the son of God. The John the Baptist is a different John than the John who writes the book, just to clarify. Wait, so, so John wrote about the book, and one of the stories was about a guy called John? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. They're two different Johns. So, But John oh. the Baptist, it's actually interesting. Three of four Gospels begin by talking about John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was an actual documented historical character. LOLs. With, with like a historical record in other things than just the Bible. More LOLs. So it kind of is like, um, John believed in Jesus, so you should believe in Jesus. More Nine out of ten, John the Baptist, believe in our toothpaste. <laughs> Recommended by dentists. I don't know, sorry. Um, so anyway, after, after the thing... It. Yeah. Just say John like it. <gasps> right, right. Give me! So the John who wrote the book is John the Apostle or Disciple, who was one of Jesus' followers. So he's like supposed to have, I think he was already there at the point when Jesus was, was turned the water into wine. I think John who wrote the book is supposed to have been there. But John the Baptist is actually a different John. But anyway, so they do the whole thing with the wedding and the wine. And um, that's like the first miracle that Jesus Wait, ever did. So- but did he just make up that he was there? John? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, honestly, we have no way of even knowing if it was a an actual disciple who actually wrote the book. But the person who wrote the book claims to have been John the disciple who was actually there. Hmm. So, um, 
I think maybe you're thinking of like in Plato, when Plato makes it really clear that the stuff he's writing about, he wasn't there for. John is supposed to, he wants us to believe he was there for this. Hmm. All right. So soon after that happened, it was nearing the time for the Jewish Passover, which is a holy day in memory of the story from Exodus, uh, when all the children of Israel put the blood of a lamb on their door so that the angel of death he was going to kill the firstborn son in, in every single house the angel of death was. But if you did the sign, if you put the blood over your door, the angel of death wouldn't kill anyone in that house. Um, and, and there were also beliefs about killing a lamb as a, as a sacrifice to remove sin. So the Passover time was a really big time for, for feasts and killing lambs and having sacrifices. Um, Christians actually believe that the Passover story is a metaphor for Jesus, and the sac- Jesus is like the Lamb of God who, you know, saves you from the angel of death. So uh, anyway, um, so Jesus goes to the temple, and there were people ex- exchanging money because, like, I think apparently there was some special currency that you could only you could only use it in the temple, so you couldn't use regular cash. That's what I've always heard. And um, and they were selling animals to be sacrificed. And what I've always been told is that they were like charging too much and ripping people off. And they were trying to make money out of people's desire to do what God wanted. Or maybe the problem was just that they were trying to make money in the temple, period. Either way, Jesus got really, really angry. So he like wove some cords together and he made a whip and he started whipping people. And he he whipped the cows and chased them all out of the temple. And he chased all the sheep out of the temple. And he he picked up the tables and he knocked them upside down. He's like like on a rampage, like that video game Rampage. He's like throwing Mm -hmm. tables everywhere and whipping people. And he's like yelling, uh, get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And there's like, there's like cows mooing and running. And there's like doves squawking and, um... Some of the leaders are like, oh no, someone's messing up stuff in the temple. And they're like, uh, what sign do you have to prove that you have the authority to do this in the temple? Uh, so they were like, I think they were asking for a miracle. And he says, if you destroy this temple, I'll raise it again in three days. And they replied, it's taken us 46 years. It took 46 years to build this temple. How would you rebuild it in three days? But John, the writer of the text, informs us this was actually a really clever code or metaphor for when he'd be killed and come back to life later in the story, even though the people couldn't possibly have known that at the time. And most of them wouldn't know it later, although the disciples remembered later after Jesus had died and come back to life as the famous story goes. And they were like, wow, that was really deep, man. That's how I always picture the disciples talking. Um, and then in, in the text, uh, just as it gets interesting, you know, you've got the whips, you've got the cows running everywhere. Oh, no! We jump from the story back to theology, where John just wants to tell you what to believe about God and stuff. Yeah! So, so I really question my decision. Angry. I, I question my decision to pick the Gospel of John for, for stories and do it like this. So anyway, Jesus did other miracles in Jerusalem. Um, and so lots of people believed and the writer says he calls these signs and he doesn't actually tell us what any of them were i like why are you doing this to me john i am trying to tell stories you know so anyway these signs were supposed to be so convincing that people kept believing jesus and he got a lot of new followers followers isn't exactly like a follower on youtube but it's not entirely different either 
Except there was a lot more actual literal or literal walking around, you know. Beesh. Um, but Jesus didn't trust all of Welcome them because, yeah. <laughs> Jesus didn't trust all these new followers because he knew what people can be like. Have you ever seen someone like on YouTube and they're following the YouTube channel, but then they don't like the video, so they just say mean things in the comments? Yeah, well, imagine that, but with people who are literally following you around. Yeah, you just made a face. You have to, you have to talk out loud. What? <laughs> yeah, I know. Or... That would be like, like, so maybe you wouldn't trust people who are following you. I don't know. So anyway, this Jewish leader came to Jesus at night. You remember that Jesus is the type of person who goes into a temple and chases people with a whip. So you can imagine that he didn't get along with all of the Jewish leaders. But so this one, his name is Nicodemus, came to see him. And he says, Rabbi, and that means someone who teaches people about Judaism. Rabbi, we know you're a teacher from God because of the signs you do. No one could perform those signs if God wasn't with them. And Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. You maybe think that's a weird reply to, we know you're from God? Well, Jesus often said things in a deliberately hard to understand way. I was taught this was because he was saying things, yeah, he's just wrong. He was saying things that were true, but in such a way that you'd only know what the truth was if God made you be able to understand. And I think John's gospel shows Jesus doing this a lot more than, than the other gospels. Anyway, so Nicodemus doesn't really understand that this is a metaphor. Um, and he's like, uh, how can a grown man be born again? Surely he can't go back into his mother's womb and be born a second time. <laughs> Which, as a mom, I'm like, surely not, dude. Yeah, that wouldn't know. <laughs> so Jesus isn't going to make this easy for him, but he gives like a hint Flesh gives birth to flesh, that is to say, you know, body. And spirit gives birth to spirit. And for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is a spirit thing, so you have to be born out of the spirit to be part of it. And that's why Jesus is speaking in kind of a code. He's trying to talk about things that he calls of heaven, things that normal words don't really cut it for. This actually reminds me of that one scene in We Free Men, which I have to say, a fantasy novel by Terry Pratchett that's really excellent. Obviously, yeah, it was really good. It's the best yes. thing ever. So, um, a witch tells Tiffany, a girl who wants to be a witch, you must open your eyes and then open your eyes again. She doesn't understand what that means at first. You remember she goes up on a hill and she opens her eyes and then she shuts them and open, uh, opens them again and nothing happens. Open, but later in the eyes. book, she realizes what it means and she opens her eyes and then opens them again. And she understands all these things. Um, it's a really beautiful scene, and she, you know, saves the day and all. Um, but this is really actually an old concept. I mean, it's it's older than Terry Pratchett, but it's also older than Jesus. The idea that you can understand things with your mind or heart or spirit that don't make sense to you at first, or don't make sense to, like, the body part of you. It's, it's um, I can think of one ancient Greek example off the top of my head. Well, if that doesn't make sense to you, you can take comfort in the knowledge that it's really not exactly intended to. So uh, this story from Nicodemus is from the third book of John, the third chapter of John, sorry, and includes John 3.16, which is probably the most famous verse in the Bible, which says, whoever believes in the Son of God will have life forever. Now, um, no, so I was taught that this life is actual physical life, but remember in context, what's Jesus talking about? Is he talking about the life of the body? No. No. He's talking about the life of the spirit. 
right? Right, he is. And actually, that's what he's promising is, is eternal life of the spirit in context. So he's not the only ones to promise that there's some way of having like a metaphorical eternal life. Although Christianity is exclusive in promising that the way to get this eternal life is by believing in Jesus specifically. I'd really like to talk for a long time about Plato and Socrates here, who were ancient Greek philosophers who did influence a lot of the early Christians, like Paul quotes him. Um, so he lived long before John was writing this gospel. Um, but I won't, I won't, I won't go into it too much, except that um, Socrates, who did live, um, definitely was a real person. But everything we know about what he taught was written by Plato, the way Jesus was written by John and other people. Mm. Yeah, interesting, huh? So Socrates talked about having a life of the spirit and knowing things with what you might call a supernatural wisdom and even living forever, although not in the sense that modern Christians talk about uh, living forever. It was more like living forever by leaving some kind of art or other contribution to humanity behind. And also by becoming wise. That was definitely part of it. I am smart! So, um, after this... No, they're not... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll have to talk. We'll, we'll talk about that more later. You're going to distract me. Um, so after this discussion uh, Nic- with Nicodemus about being born again, more people start believing in Jesus, and he did more signs, miracles, and stuff. Though again, we don't know what they were. What about the building? What about the building? Well, so so it 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 didn't get destroyed, and he didn't raise it again in three days because that was supposed to be a metaphor for when he would be killed and come back to life in three days. So the building never, well, the, later the building did get destroyed, the temple did. It, like in actual history, the building got destroyed, the temple did. But I don't, I don't know so much about it. it Although Jewish practice has shifted to be less, the, the temples by now is, is not, it's not as, it's not a major part of the, or any part, I guess, since it's not there anymore. So Jewish, the Jewish religion still exists without a temple now, is what I'm trying to say. Oh... Um, so anyway, but a lot of people, like the early Christians, thought it, it couldn't, I think, exist without the temple. So, you know, that's part of that's part of Christianity is Jesus was supposed to be the new temple. Um, so you would believe in Jesus, and that's how you would communicate with God, through believing in Jesus. So anyway, a lot of people um, started following him. He baptized people, which baptized. is... Yeah, so basically you, you dunk a person in the water... With their consent, and you, like, say words over them about how they believe in God now, basically. Like, but, but like, you're not, you're not, no, you're not, like, it's not like you're dunking people without their consent. They're, they're definitely, they're asking to be baptized. So this is a symbol to them that they've gone under the water and come up as a new, clean, fresh person, maybe even being born again, maybe even a symbolic of birth, because you're in the water, you're in the amniotic fluid before you're born. So kind of symbolic of that. It's like a symbol to yourself and other people that you're having a new life now. So anyway, that's baptism. So he was baptizing people. Only nowadays you get baptized to believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, so you get baptized in Jesus' name. Um, so anyway, so he's like, he's heading to this different area called Galilee. So first he goes through Samaria. And the people who lived in Samaria, called the Samaritans, they weren't, like, exactly enemies of the Jewish people, but they weren't exactly friends either at this point. Frenemies. Maybe, yeah, maybe frenemies. 
So he stopped by this, Jesus stops by this well that was said to have been dug by Jacob, who was the father of all the Jewish people. And um, he asked a Samaritan woman for a drink. And she's like, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? Do you think Jesus is like going to just answer this? Like straight? Like no. plain? No. no. And he says, like so what does he say? Before. Yeah, so he says, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask him and he'd give you living water. And she's like, uh, you don't have a bucket to draw from the well with and the well is deep. How are you going to get this living water? And are you greater than our ancestors? <laughs> these, these responses are so funny. Like yeah, nobody understands. Our, yeah, I know. That's the whole thing. Are you greater than our what? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? And Jesus told her, everyone who drinks from this well will be thirsty again. But anyone who drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. The water will become a spring of eternal life inside them. Metaphor. Yep, yep, exactly. And you might expect that this character won't realize it is a metaphor. Like I said, John writes this kind of scene a lot. So she says, hey, sir, could you give me some of the water then so I don't have to keep walking back to the well and carrying water? And he says, uh, Jesus says, go get your husband and come back here. And she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, that's true. You've had five husbands. The man you're with now isn't your husband. You're right about your own life. And she was like amazed because he was right when he said she was right. And she said, I see you're a prophet. Tell me, prophet. Well, you've got to stop humming. Thanks. All right. Uh, where was I? Worshiping in Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. Oh, so Jesus, she says, she's basically saying, should we, are we worship God on the mountain or worship in Jerusalem? You know, your people and my people can't agree. And Jesus told her, a time is coming when you will worship not on this mountain or in Jerusalem for the Father, he meant God, for the Father is spirit and seeking worshipers, worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. And then she replied, I know the Messiah is coming and when he comes, he'll explain everything. And Jesus said, I am he. And uh, she went and told everyone that Jesus knew all about her. And they started believing too. Then Jesus' disciples showed up and they're like, you must be hungry. Please eat something. And Jesus told them, you're going to love this. I have food you know nothing about. This was another metaphor, which I think is a risky game to play when someone is offering you actual edible food. After all, Jesus is supposed to be human, and humans eat food. So the disciples all start asking each other, they're like, did someone bring him food already? I didn't bring him food. Did you bring him food? Where did he get food from? So then he realized they did not understand this, and they told, he told them, my food is to do the will of God. Which, to be honest, I almost get, like, have you ever been working on something that's really important to you, and you just kind of forget to eat? You forget you're hungry because you're really busy on this cool creative project? No. No. Yes. Yes. <laughs> no, yes, sort of by yes, no, yes. So um, maybe you forget to go to the bathroom or something because you're so busy on this project that's really yeah. important. I yeah. forget to go to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Never to I, I knew it wasn't just me. So most of, of John is like this with the, with the intentionally difficult to understand metaphors. Um, but everyone's still really into following Jesus. I think the, the miracles that we don't actually have described uh, really help with that. Upcoming a real actual miracle that John describes. Yay! So a man comes to Jesus asking him to heal heal his son. He's like, my son is really sick. Heal him. 
And Jesus is like, you people won't believe me unless you see miracles. And the man just says, please come and heal my sick son. He's going to die. So Jesus says, go, your son will live. So he goes back and his son is healthy again. And he asks, when did my son get better? And the servant's like, tells him the time. And he's like, that's the exact same time of day that Jesus told me that my son would get better. And then he got better. So then everyone in the household believed after that. And um, so Jesus's ministry continued after this. And the tensions between him and religious leaders kept escalating. And his miracles also escalated um, as as the writer John continues making his case for Jesus as none other than the divine son of God. Also point out that, um, remember Nicodemus calls him a rabbi, right? And then then the woman calls him a prophet. And that's kind of an escalation because there's more prophets than there are rabbis. No, there's fewer prophets than there are rabbis. Prophets are rare, more rare. That's what I was trying to say. What's a rabbi? A rabbi is like a teacher, sort of like, hmm, sort of like a pastor, basically, only not exactly. Mm-hmm. So, because they were priests, there were priests in Israel who would perform the sacrifices and stuff, but rabbis were more like teachers. Um, so Jesus gets called a rabbi, then Jesus gets called a prophet, but John is trying to make it up the hierarchy until everyone believes that Jesus is the son of God or even God himself because it it begins by saying basically the book begins by saying you know that Jesus is the son of God or is God both of those both of those things but how can he be the son of God and God at the same time that is a question I'm not even going to attempt to answer suffice it to say it is the topic of many 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 debates wow um so so yeah there there's that basically, the answer I always heard was that um, it was like an apple. So you have like the apple skin and the apple, the actual good part of the apple and the seeds of the apple. So they're each separate parts of the apple, but they're also all apple, I guess. So. That, that makes as much sense as when Jesus tries to explain things. Yeah, so there's this, um, I'm sorry. <laughs> So I I can't make it make any more sense than that, though. So there's like, um, you know, on St. Patrick's Day, everyone talks about clovers. Well, I heard that the St. Patrick tried to get people to be like, look at the clover. There's three, there's three leaves on the clover, but it's all one clover. Um, And they're like, you know, oh, great clover. Um, That was in Veggie Tales. And then he's like, no, it's a metaphor. And they're like, Oh, great metaphor! <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, but that's Veggie Tales. Oh, so, great um, metaphor. So anyway, um, that's all I'm going to tell today is 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 up to that miracle where Jesus heals the sick kid without ever even seeing him. So, so um, sorry, what? Nothing. Possible oh. audience reaction. What? <laughs> so, um, so John's gospel is a little different from from the other gospels because he comes right out with Jesus is God right at the beginning of his telling the story. Jesus is God. And um, the Jesus in the other gospels is like more shy. So John has a very clear bias, a very clear mission in writing this. He wants you to believe Jesus is the Son of God and is God. Um, and like I said, the other gospels don't really do this as directly or emphatically. 
And I'm left, um, I'm also left feeling like John's Jesus is more of a jerk than the Jesus in Matthew's gospel, for example. I mean, the dad's like, my son is about to die. And Jesus is like, what, do you need more miracles to believe in me? Because that's what Jesus cares about is you believe in him, not is the son going to live. So he heals the son, but he's like, so I feel like he's, he's not as nice as the Jesus in like Matthew's gospel, which I'll tell more Jesus stories later. So, oh, you remember Jesus and Lazarus from Halloween? Where oh, Jesus yeah. let Lazarus die oh, yeah. so that he could bring him back? That's from John. Oh, my God. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. So, um, anyway, remember all storytellers have biases, including me. Uh, yep. Thank you guys so much for coming on my podcast today. I really appreciate it. Um, I always, it's always good talking to you guys because you can ask me questions and stuff. So I guess I've got to close it out now. Um, thanks for joining us on Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Be sure to, you know, rate the podcast, follow the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Are you falling? Yeah. Don't stop falling. <laughs> Um, Don't forget to pay money on Patreon. <laughs> oh yes. And get extra stuff. And get extra stuff. Yeah. Super fun. I, I didn't coach them on that. Um, as usual, our theme music is. Oh, go ahead, you say it. Our theme music is "Wholesome" by Kevin McLeod. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Oh, uh, we'll see you next week when. Let's see. What am I going to be talking about next week? If I told you. Oh, Thanksgiving. We're doing Maccabees. Oh yeah. So join us then. Um, thanks for listening. Shine on, Star Child. <laughs> <laughs>